0: Welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USURF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe.
1: Welcome to You Spotlight, I'm Dwight Bashir. On this day in 1993 in Sivash, a city in Turkey, central Anatolia region, a mob set fire to the Maramak Hotel, where a group of prominent Alevi writers, poets, and thinkers had gathered. 37 people died in what became known as the Sivash or Maramak Massacre. For Alevis, the incident reflected the prejudice and hate the community faced in their native Turkey, where today Alevis make up an estimated 10 to 20% of the population. Alevi discrimination in government, in society, and in the education system is indeed rampant. And under the leadership of uh, Turkish President Erdogan and his AKP party, it's only getting worse. Today, on the anniversary, of the massacre, we will discuss who Turkey's Alevis are, what they believe in, and what makes living as an Alevi and Erdogan's Turkey so challenging. We have with us today, you serve policy analyst and Turkey specialist, John Lechner. Welcome, John. Hi, Joy. thanks for having me. Great, why don't we begin with the attack on the Matamak Hotel in 1993, 28 years ago today. What exactly unfolded there? Sure. So- As you
0: mentioned, an angry mob in Savash, a city with a population of about 350,000 and about 300 miles from the capital, Ankara, witnessed an attack that became seared in Turkish collective memory. In short, a group of prominent Alevi intellectuals had gathered for a conference at the Matamak Hotel. And while they were meeting, an angry mob left a nearby mosque after prayer and attacked the building. The hotel was set on fire, and ultimately, uh, 37 people perished. According to an official report that was published 20 years later, the torching of the Matamak hotel was the result of a gradual escalation in tensions following the organization of the conference. And complicating factors was the attendance of famous left-wing author, Aziz Nasin, who had become a public target in Turkey after translating Salman Rushdie's satanic verses. His presence was used by "quote unquote" radical Islamists, according to the Turkish government, to spread anger at the mosque before the attack. Nesin ultimately survived the fire, but was beaten by firefighters after he was rescued.
1: Thanks for that explanation. You know, it's not uncommon that uh, incidents like these occur, and we still see them today, unfortunately. But one of the things we want to we try to look at uh, and, and follow very closely when these incidents occur, especially something so coordinated, is what. What happened to the perpetrators of the crime? Were they held accountable? And, and how was the attack perceived by Alevi's and Turkish society more general back then?
0: Sure. That, that's a great question. And also where uh, things get very complicated in the case. So the actual case itself against those who committed the crime lasted until 2001, about eight years later. And under charges of, quote unquote, attempting to establish a religious state by changing the constitutional order, 33 were sentenced to death and another 91 were handed various prison sentences. Those death sentences, though, were later converted to life imprisonment and actually several defendants escaped. So the search for the escapees was at best half-hearted and stopped in 2012 when the Turkish courts decreed that the statute of limitations on the case had lapsed or after 20 years. So on that day, Erdogan himself declared, may this bring good fortune. And that should give you a sense of how his AKP party viewed a levy rights at the time. In 2014, uh, an official report came out, which I had mentioned earlier, and it laid the blame for the incident squarely at the local government's feet. The report claimed that the governor's office showed serious negligence and failures in preventing the massacre. And to respond to your other question, Now, uh, the Savaş massacre is recognized as a critical juncture for Alevi rights and a recognition of the discrimination they face and other religious minorities face in Turkish society. For many non-Alevi Turkish citizens, the events were also considered a very dark moment for free speech and pluralism in Turkey.
1: Why don't we uh, take an opportunity here to step back for a minute now that we have a sense of what happened uh, 28 years ago today. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who the Alevis are and and what they believe so our audience uh, gets a better sense of why they might have been targeted back then?
0: Sure, yeah. So Alevism refers to a number of Islamic groups that have lived in the Anatolia region and other regions since the late 11th century. Uh, Alevis speak many languages, Turkish, Zaza, Kurmanji, um, Arabic, and they distinguish distinguished themselves from Sunnis uh, by venerating the prophet Muhammad's uh, son-in-law, Ali, uh, from which the name, of course, uh, Alevism. They follow also though the 12 Imams, uh, but uh, as well as the teachings of Hajib Bektash uh, Beli, an Islamic mystic who lived in Anatolia in the 13th century. Uh, Alevis frequently rebelled Uh, against the Ottoman state, and it resulted in cycles of both uh, protest, rebellion, and massacre at the hands of the Ottoman government. Under the Turkish Republic, Alevis did not receive state recognition and continued to face discrimination. The government denied them status as a religious community, and their houses of worship, Jemevi or Jemevi Ler, were not recognized. But like many rural Turks at the time, Alevis took part in the massive urban migrations from the countryside to the cities in the 1950s onward. And in the cities, they became associated with leftist politics. Uh, this association, as well as their uh, minority status, made them a target of right-wing Turkish nationalists and religious fundamentalists in the late 1970s. And many Alevis were massacred again in the cities.
1: So, you know, you mentioned uh, the statute of limitations passed and Erdogan declared that as good fortune, uh, unfortunately, uh, and gave us, You have we have a good sense of kind of, the, the historical background, where Alevis are coming from, what their uh, belief system looks like. But can you tell us what kind of discrimination and obstacles uh, Alevis face today under the uh, uh, current uh, Turkish leadership and Erdogan's uh, rule? Sure. Um,
0: so there, there are no official laws, obviously, that prevent Alevis from seeking economic opportunity. But I would say that their prospects for upward mobility in Turkish society right now are slim. So uh, as he mentioned, Erdogan's quote, under his ruling AKP party, uh, unofficial sunification policies have exacerbated that underrepresentation in government jobs. And community members have cited uh, a systematic purge under Erdogan's leadership of Alevi's from the public sector. So a good example of this would be that uh, none of Turkey's 81 provinces has a governor of Alevi origin nor a chief of police, nor an undersecretary. So statistically speaking, given uh, how many Alevi's live in Turkey, it's highly unlikely that this is due to chance. And even within the lower ranks uh, of the civil service, for example, discrimination against Alevi's is widespread. So interviewers often reject overqualified Alevi candidates based on their name, one's village, or other markers of cultural identity. Some levies have even reported interviewers asking outright whether they are a levy before turning them down for the job.
1: Wow! So it, it certainly uh, appears that uh, levies uh, suffer on many levels. It's not uncommon we see, in uh, unfortunately, in some parts of the world, in some countries where uh, individuals, you know, have various identities—be they uh, religious, uh, cultural, uh, ethnic where there's several uh, layers of discrimination that they may face in society or by the government. But in 2016, uh, we know that the European Court of Human Rights ruled that the Alevis' rights had been violated and that the community was subject to discrimination. So that seemed to be an important ruling. Can you tell us more about the details of that case and what, if any, implications does that have for the future trajectory of the community in Turkey.
0: I, I'm glad you bring that case up because it, it reveals some of the interesting dynamics of, of how Alevi's are discriminated against in Turkish society. And so uh, that case you, you speak of uh, began in Turkish courts around uh, 2005 when an uh, Alevi community sought official recognition recognition for their place of worship, Jamevi. Uh, which would entitle them to the same state subsidies that Sunni mosques receive in Turkey. The Turkish courts rejected those claims, stating that Alevism is a religious movement within Islam, but it's not a separate faith. And that the Turkish government subsidizes places of worship like those Sunni mosques may seem strange given our typical understanding of secularism in the Turkish Republic or like Leek, in Turkish. And so we have to go back to actually the 1923 Treaty of Lausanne to understand these dynamics. And so following that treaty, way back in 1923, the Turkish government recognized three official minority religions in the new country, Greek Orthodoxy, Armenian Orthodoxy, and Judaism. And with this, legal recognition came breaks that were denied to Muslim minorities. So Jews and Christians are generally allowed to skip mandatory classes on the tenets of Sunni Islam in public schools, whereas Alevis are not. Uh, this is not to say, of course, that non-Muslim minorities don't face serious obstacles to practicing their beliefs in Turkey. And as Yusuf has highlighted, there are plenty of examples from government interference and in leadership elections in religious communities or the shuttering of monasteries. But at, at a minimum, at least, uh, these religions are officially recognized by the government. So according to one expert, uh, secularism in Turkey is perceived as uh, the state's control over religion. And that ironically leads to a sectarian regime in Turkey with uh, Sunni Islam of the Hanafi right, uh, largely perceived as the official Islam. The Directorate of Religious Affairs, for example, uh, is funded by taxpayers and helps build mosques and subsidizes operations. But since the government only recognizes Sunni Islam, uh, Alevi's pay taxes to the state without actually receiving any funds for their own places of worship. So with this in mind, uh, in 2006, an Alevi community brought a clever case to, the, to a court in Turkey. Uh, basically, an Alevi center rec- requested an exemption from paying electricity bills, which is a subsidy guaranteed to Sunni mosques. Of course, a Turkish court denied the claim, and the case went all the way to the European Court of Human Rights, which, as you mentioned, the Alevi's won. But the Alevi's victory in Europe was largely symbolic at the end of the day, and the government has failed to implement uh, the court's ruling, and especially the spirit of the court's ruling.
1: Yeah, that's unfortunate. It seems that, uh, you know, these rulings come through and, and they can be... Uh really instrumental but it all comes down to to the government in this case turkey uh mm-hmm. implementing and and in terms of uh enforcement that that certainly remains an issue uh, with with these rulings uh no that's a very helpful unpacking of that case i mean that brings us really to uh, the the question that we always are looking at at surf in terms of um, you know what if anything, is there uh, in particular that the U.S. government and international community can do at this time, uh, you know, to not only support the Alevi community uh, and other religious minorities in Turkey, um, but, um, you know, through the various bilateral multilateral uh, platforms, is there something specific that uh, potentially here is is possible?
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's a very important question. So, Uh, In USURF's 2021 annual report, which came out recently, uh, the the report highlighted the ruling party's continued refusal to recognize Alevi places of worship. And the U.S. government and the international community should continue to call on Erdogan and his ruling AKP and MHP party to recognize Alevi rights. But the government government officials should also raise the levy rights when meeting with Turkish government officials at pr- in private and at all levels. And ultimately, the U.S. should continue to track levy efforts to build their own places of worship and receive the subsidies, which they, as taxpayers, are due.
1: Well, thanks for, uh, you know, unpacking that. I know that when. We've uh, had incidents in the past. We've even had targeted sanctions on officials when there's clear violations, if there is a government official that's responsible. We saw that in the case of uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson, where a couple of high level Turkish officials were indeed uh, sanctioned uh, as a consequence of uh, his treatment. So uh, I know these are other tools, uh, much more heavy handed, certainly, and punitive, but you know, should there be explicit violations, uh, there's certainly those uh, opportunities as well. We'll have to leave it right here for today. I want to thank U.S.ERF policy analyst John Lechner uh, for his deep insights today on the plight of Alevis in Turkey, uh, to learn more about the commission's work on Alevis and other religious minorities in Turkey, and our related policy recommendations to the U.S. government visit our website at www.uscirf.gov. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USURF Spotlight.
0: To learn more about USURF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's USCIRF.gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week for another USURF Spotlight.